Well, good morning, America. This is your host, Mark Dunnigan, and here we are again at The Daily Answer. And I want to talk about the beautiful life. I was listening to an interview recently in which the person being interviewed observed that one of the arguments, or like today's reason, among many of the arguments for the credibility of the existence of God, the Bible being his word, the gospel of Jesus Christ being the truth, is that it produces beautiful people. And if you might object and says, well, what about the abuses of religion here and there? Go back and take a look at that, all right? Read your Bible and ask, did the Bible produce that corrupted form of religion? Or is that simply a perversion where man twisted it? The actual gospel, when it's applied, when it's really lived as taught, produces beautiful people. And and I think it would be very difficult to argue with that. So, and, you know, there are a number of reasons, like today's reason, I call it, that there are so many reasons for why you believe in God. You know, one would be just a design and complexity, not only in the universe, but like at every level, microscopic level, in the animals, among the insects, among the birds, in man, just the complexity of everything that we run into from big to little is just incredibly, it's designed. It's just amazing. And it is still far beyond us. That is, if if God had just said, hey, I could do everything else, but mankind, you, what I need you to do is I need you to come up with a circulatory system, okay? That's all you need to do. I can do everything else. Well, I think I think we would still be working on that. <laughs> you know, I, I don't, there are things that are just so incredibly complex that even with all our technolo- t- technology today, it's like, wow we're just we're just nipping at the hem of the garment so that would be one just the design and complexity universe the the other one would be just things like morality is that we have this innate sense of right and wrong and also of how something can be unfair or unjust or the suffering of innocent people really bothers us and the question is why it only makes sense that that would bother us if we're created in God's image, if we're created with a sense of morality. That's the only way any of that makes sense. A product of evolution, time and chance should have no problem with suffering. And of course, in the theory of evolution, no one is innocent, no one's guilty, but no one's innocent. Nobody matters. Everything, everyone is just a product of time and chance. There is no rhyme and reason for while it's here. There is no grand purpose of the universe. It's just big accident. And when you die, you're dead. And there is no accountability and there is no judgment. Nothing's praiseworthy, but nothing's wicked. Everything's just blah. Well, among all those reasons would be that Christianity can take someone formerly self-centered, just a real jerk, 
Titus 3, verse 3, Paul says, For we also once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. There's a pretty good picture of the world. You know, just, just a heads up, the world often tries to talk about how tolerant they are and how loving they are. Really, you, you, you get down there and you find that people are not as tolerant as they claim, particularly people outside of Jesus Christ. They want to boast about their virtue. Okay, look how tolerant I am. But you come up and say something they don't agree with, and all of a sudden you will realize their tolerance is only a tolerance for what they already believe in. Their tolerance is only a tolerance for people on the same page they are. Doesn't move any further than that. In Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 1, we have a another group of people. And guess what? Most of your New Testament Christians came from backgrounds like this. Came from really rough backgrounds. Where he says... You were dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That is, we had we had uh, we weren't born that way, but we had, well, we had kind of developed we had made ourselves that way by our choices by following just instant gratification by following selfish thoughts arrogant thoughts you just become a mess and yet in the new testament we find a number of people that that's what they had been one time in their life and they're not that way anymore they are change transformed. I think that the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul over in the book of First Timothy uh, gives a very honest assessment of his former life. Verse 13, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. He even talks himself as being the chief of sinners in about verse 15. He says, there wasn't anybody worse than I was. And yet, this former blasphemer, blasphemer, persecutor, and violent aggressor becomes one of the most self-controlled, patient, godly, virtuous, unselfish individuals that the world has ever seen. Not only that, but... He became an individual willing to risk all for the truth and for the souls of others. 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. Paul said, I'm willing just to spend myself out for you if that's what it takes. Just to give everything and lay it all on the line. And Paul was so moved by the fact that Jesus had unselfishly died for him too. He would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse 14. For the love of Christ, or 
Christ's love displayed on the cross, you might say, controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. A couple things there. I think what Paul is saying is that Jesus' death on the cross for him, undeserved and unselfish and just unmerited, just broke him. Like, how can I live for self anymore when God did this for me? I just can't go out and argue that, well, it's my life and it's my body and I can live any way I want. That that would be just, I mean, talk about pure ingratitude. I mean, talk about a miserable individual. That's going to make other people miserable to talk about uh, being narcissistic. Man, that's the ultimate there. And he says, I can't just live for me anymore after what I've seen Jesus do for me. And he said, that just broke selfishness in me that from then on, I can't live for me. I can't live for self. I have to live for him. And then in verse 16, I kind of like verse 16 because it just seems like at that point, it really doesn't matter who anybody else is. Now, certainly Paul would show the proper respect when he encountered a a government official like a Felix or a Festus or a King Agrippa, and he would express his appreciation for standing before them. But besides that, he also saw them as their lost people. Yeah, they're a Roman governor, but they're lost. They're in darkness. And so I am not going to be intimidated by them. This is just another person that needs Jesus. And I I will treat them with respect for the office they hold, but I will more importantly treat them with respect because they're made in God's image. That's that's why I'm going to treat them with respect. And Jesus died for them, and they need the Lord, and I'm the one here that has the message. What is it? What is it? What is it about these people that live beautiful lives, lives where they're willing to risk all, that compels us to want to want to um, pattern our lives after their life? I think of Jesus when he told the disciples, he, he, he was saying some truths and they were hard to accept. And so some of his disciples left him. And he said to those that were remaining, you guys are going to leave too. And Peter, one of the great lines in scripture, Peter will say in John 6, 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I mean, there is nobody else to go to. Nobody else has the words of eternal life. Why would we follow anyone else? It just seems rather obvious that we are not the product of millions of years of mindless time and chance from the fact that we are moved, we are motivated, we are convicted by the great examples of faith from the past and from the present. The fact that we're moved by the lives of unselfish, noble, godly, and virtuous individuals says a lot about us. 
Now, there are times when people are out there seeking to find God, and Cornelius was like that. At some point, he learns about the true God, and he's he's attaching himself to the Jewish nation, and he's 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 trying to find out what he needs to do. And that would be Acts chapter 10, 1 and 2. But he's pursuing the true God. But there are other times when the truth finds you, shows up, explodes your fantasy world. And you enter one, you enter a weekend, one person. And by Sunday night, you're somebody else. And my story is really a combination of both of those scenarios. Sometimes since childhood, I was looking for the one, and I remember being in the room in Silverton, Oregon, the bedroom that I had after my older brother moved out. I got his room. I remember being in that room and thinking that what I want to find is the one unifying factor by which everything else in the universe makes sense. The truth or truths by which you can understand everything else. The one correct and complete narrative. But at the same time, when it showed up, I was not anticipating it was going to show up that weekend. Some people talk about dancing to your own tune, but that can turn out to be some real ugly dancing. I like how someone put it, learn to dance with reality rather than set yourself in opposition to it. The elegant dance with reality, with truth, creates a beautiful life. That's what I wanted you to ponder in this particular episode. Create a beautiful life, and you can with the gospel. Be drawn to those who are forming beautiful lives. And do the elegant dance with the truth. Mark Dunnigan for The Daily Answer. Until next time, we'll see you in the funny papers. 